So you're he hearing me loud and clear? Yep. Uh, what about me? I'm using a new headset today. Yeah, same here. That's what I was asking. Now I can hear you loud and clear. I can hear you much better than I can hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Yep. So, you know, recently we did that episode on the leadership of the Guru Granth. And, uh, people had a lot of questions about the Panch Parvan, Panch Pradhan, Shabad, and how, you know, the Panch are not really Panj as in the conventional sense, the numeric sense of being five but rather those who have arisen out of Parpanchta, which is, you know, the daily doings of this world. It's social and uh, communal and political interactions. Because, you know, let's face it, the Sikh Gurus recognized that society was an important aspect of human life. It couldn't be dismissed. Now, on that end, I decided that, uh, well, the way we should tackle this is we should tackle several multiple issues altogether. Now, in the current climate, we have this uh, division between Sikhs of all hues, and it's basically that should we accept modern democracy and ignore its faults, or should we try doing better than what the current form of democracy is? You're asking a question that has been asked for the let's say for the past 2000 years ever since democracy let's say was introduced for the first time in ancient greece i think it's more uh, more relevant to sikhs today now uh, because if you look at it we have you know the upgrade section then we have the non-upgrade section and there's this massive battle going on where one side believes that democracy is the answer to everything and then you know there is now Rumblings of discontent even beginning to come from that camp that, uh, you know, how can it be the answer to everything? Now, let me give you an example. You know Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal? Uh, the Afghan wet? Yep, yep. He's the Afghan veteran as well as Iraq. He was in charge of the Special Operations Command, led the Ranger uh, Regiment. Uh, you see, there's a very uh, intriguing event he recounts in his book my share of the task it's more or less an autobiography and uh you know when they had to attack helmand to get the taliban out because the taliban and the hakini network were filtering in through uh helmand and obviously that's where al-qaeda was coming in from and you know we all know that pakistan has a policy of sporting extremist islamist elements anyway irrespective of the face imran khan puts on in front of the world Basically, they got approached by these elders, and these elders basically uh, told them that, you know, the Taliban aren't monolithic as you guys think they are. You know, so the Taliban aren't a singular group. You have ideological Taliban, you have local Taliban, you have regional Taliban. Islamism is the ideology uniting them, but really there are different compelling circumstances which have made them into who they are today. And there know, are there are a collection of local warlords, religious zealots, and uh, jihadis. Yep, and uh, now the policy which has been pursued in Southeast Asia over the past 40, 50 years 
is that if you want to stop such a ideological faction or an ideological element from acquiring a control over people or masses or territory, is basically to go and uh, indiscriminately kill everyone who you think is a potential recruit, right? Mm-hmm. The Americans are a bit more nuanced and they're also a bit more humanitarian in their goals. So basically, McChrystal sat down with these elders and he had his intelligence networks come along and they uh, sat down as well. And, you know, they drew up a picture of what was actually happening in Afghanistan. Now, there was a period when Afghanistan actually had a nascent democracy going on. And the reason why people turned away from that, even today, why people welcome the Afghans back, 50% of the reason is, um, I mean, the tele, uh, Afghani Taliban back, 50% of the reason is that those people see an ideological continuity with the Taliban. The other 50%, and this is also interrelated, is that during Afghanistan's heyday is that, you know, embryonic democracy, people were getting no justice from the courts. People were getting no justice from the police. Basically, the law, the lawmakers and the upholders of the law in a democracy we're deliberately ignoring such uh, communities, such minorities as the Hazaras, Uzbeks, etc., etc., until ultimately they became savages. Now, would you agree with my assessment that it's fair that if the law, the upholders of the law and the lawmakers willfully target a community without fault, that community will surely become savage in its response and retaliation? Justice and development go hand in hand. Yep. So yeah. if, if there is no justice, there can be no, no, no development. If there is no justice, then uh, even my tomorrow is not guaranteed. Now, what's funny down here, what I find entirely ludicrous down here is that the justice which people couldn't acquire from a democratic government in Afghanistan at the time they turn to the Taliban. And now the thing with the Taliban is that the oppressor and the oppressed, both of them are treated savagely and inhumanely by the Taliban government. And isn't it ironic that democracy is failing in its consistency, in its attempts to uphold its consistency, in its efforts that is inconsistent in providing justice and ensuring the fundamental rights which we argue are necessary to live human life happily whilst a savage totalitarian theocratic terrorist government is upholding those a better argument would be china yep there uh, well of course there are always these think tank reports and say is there a possibility of a, a so-called revolution in china in the next 50 years the answer is no because that same totalitarian communist regime has pulled millions out of poverty. Mm. So they, they, they just see no point in replacing that system. Well, I mean, to strike the hornet's nest now, you know, what I find pretty funny is that we know what happened at Darbar Sahib recently. Man came to do a Biadbi and got killed. Yeah, okay, and there are people Sikhs arguing about it all along. And okay, what happened was wrong, right? It 
which was wrong. But then at the end of the day, why aren't people looking at the other side of the story that what compelled individuals to take the law into their own hands? Uh, they'll be celebrated, they will receive fundings, and they will be, let's say, counted as uh, heroes. But then on the other hand, you need to look at it. What actually made them do this? Why Why are people actually justifying it? And it seems that, you know, people have no faith in the institutions which are supposed to see to it that, you know, sufficient deterrents are provided that such events do not happen again. Well, I think these events are not going to stop anytime soon. But, uh, but the, the pertinent question to ask is that how can you trust those people to ask to ask for justice when they don't even believe in the state. And you know what I find funny is that, you know, one side has already made its stance clear, but the other side, like, you know, the upgrades side, one of them approached me and they were talking about this. And I asked them that, you know, you have iSport Palestine in your bio. And he said, yes. So, you know, when you're saying that Sikhs don't understand democracy globally, Sikhs need to work under the democratic framework. Why aren't you saying the same to Palestinians? Why are you instead spotting, you know, the Palestinian authorities who are emphasizing that young Palestinian children tie bombs to themselves and go blow themselves up in a crowd of Jews? Why the double standards then? And what did he answer? Uh, there was a long rant on Pujari Vadi Soch and then, yeah, just a retreat. Hmm. Okay. And, and the conclusion you can draw from this is that none of them, none of them have any idea what they're talking about. I mean, you know, back in the day, what used to happen was that the Sampradais, they used to criticize the missionaries and the missionaries used to criticize the Sampradais. But really, you could see that they were, both of them were achieving no results because, you know, when the missionaries uh, criticized the Sampradais, people gave them money. And when the Sampradais did likewise, people gave them money. So at the end of the day, the criticism is superficial. It's only for their own stomachs. True. And similarly, when you have all these people today talking about solutions to problems and, you know, democracy and these big words, I mean, most of these people do not realize that the step from democracy to totalitarianism is not big. Uh, allow me to give you an example. From my own personal life. Yep. So, you know, you know I travel to Uttar Pradesh, UP state a lot here. Yep. So I was in uh, dis district Merit. Mm -hmm. I was in a Hindu Rajput village. Yes. So, well, naturally being a Jat, it's like, okay, you got good land here. Uh, salt's good. Water table's good, everything's good. I say, what do you grow? Oh, wheat, sugarcane, that sort of stuff. And uh, do you grow vegetables or something? I said, no. So well, you can do it. You, you got a large city there. Delhi isn't too far either. So why don't you do it? And they replied that we are Rajputs. Rajputs don't grow vegetables. It's the Sanis who grow vegetables. So I was wondering, okay, Uttar Pradesh gives... 80 member parliaments to the central government, Punjab gives 13. Yep. In a democratic system, they are always going to win and I'm always going to lose. 
that's what Sardar Kapoor Singh pointed out, that modern democracy as we have it today is just a roller show. You know, majority steamroll minority straight away. Yeah, legally. Yeah, but legally, legally. And that's the ironic thing. That's the biting thing. That's the galling thing. It's all done under a facade of legality. Now, look at what happened in Iraq, 2003. The Americans sent it. And I'm actually giving examples from our times, which our generation has actually, you know, witnessed. So, you know, 2003, Americans sent to Iraq, wiped the mustache off Saddam Hussein's face. And what happens next? So they have a civilian government installed. Why? Because they want Iraq to become a democracy. What does that civilian government do? What does the civilian handler of that government who's an American do? They decide to sack 10,000 Sunni military officers. And the Sunnis are also, you know, getting angry that, wait a second, the Shias are going to overtake us, you know, because this is what democracy is. The minority is going to be crushed by the majority. Ultimately, both sides start arguing among themselves. And then, you know, what do we have next? We have a massive full-blown insurgency breakout, which Al-Qaeda takes full advantage of, full advantage of. And all these unnecessary deaths uh, uh, occur. And after Bush left office, you know, when Obama came in, the relationship between uh, America and Iraq became very fraught with tension, right? And what you have next is that the Shia majority government in Iraq has decided to turn against the Sunnis 100%. And the situation still continues down there, and it's all done under the facade of legality because at the end of the day, the you know population which is doing the oppression is more than the population which is being oppressed, ultimately. Yeah, uh, if you ever got time, read upon uh, the founding fathers of America's letter on the tyranny of majority. Yep. And look, my personal belief is that if you look at history, democracy has only worked when it's been limited. Now, this is quite a controversial statement, but let me qualify it with examples from Sikh history. The institution of Panjapiare, you know, five Khalsa take a decision, irrespective of gender, they just have to be, you know, fully confirming Amritari Sikhs living their head Mariada, living as per Gurbani and believing in Guru Nanak, the Guru Granth Sahib, and the Khande Bhatia, the Amrit and Sikh institutions. Five Sikhs take a decision. You know, ultimate decision belongs to five Sikhs. Why doesn't it belong to everyone else? Think about it. Well, I know the obvious answer. They're not bright enough, not respons- responsible enough. Maybe they don't have a skin in the game. Yep. What transpired a long time ago that I was actually invited to be the treasurer of a Gurdwara, which turned into a position of, you know, vice president, treasurer, librarian. Ultimately, I never took the presidency of the committee or the Chakradatha. And one day we had to make a decision about the spies we were going to bring over from, you know, India, the Granthi Singh and the Kirtaniye. And me being me, because I was, you know, learning and I had a Sang Saab, who was, you know, actually guiding me in this process, teaching me all these things. I asked him, why can't we let the Sangha to decide which spies they want? And he turned around and told me that there are many things which the Sangha can't decide. It just cannot decide for itself. And that compelled me to start researching. And ultimately, these are the conclusions I drew that, you know, when we are talking about the Sangat in the Sikh context, now, of course, the liberals, Dilsaf, Upgrade, Works, they're going to get pretty uh, buttered by this. 
the Sangat isn't just about everybody who walks into the Gurdwara. You know, here, let's have some langar and go up and sit in the Darbar with your Sangat. No, that's not the Sangat. The Sangat per Gurbani, per Sikh philosophy, are those individuals who live a virtuous life, the Sikh life. And in the political sense, that translates into the, you know, fully convictional Khalsa, you know, the fully confirming Khalsa, sitting together, discussing issues, and, you know, making decisions as per Gurmat, that is Sangat, and not just about every Tom, Dick, and Harry who walks into the Gurdwara. Now, you know, the Gurdwara Act, the 1925 Gurdwara Act, I believe it's 1925 when it was passed in the Punjab legislature, Mahatma Gandhi, Arya Smaj, Snatan Singh Sabha, all these Sant Babi had a massive problem with it, because what the you know framers of that act, what the Kali said, you know what that act should reflect is the fact that you know Sangat has a particular definition drawn from the Sikh context. Now Gandhi's problem was that if that definition was accepted, and it was, it was accepted, it meant that many Hindus and Muslims who supported Congress who were attending those Gurdwaras could not vote, you know, in favor of the government's policy towards the Sikhs. Rather, they would be excluded from voting straight away. And the way they actually sold this was that the Sikhs are doing discrimination. And the galling thing, even at that time, was our people joined in, that the Gurus were compassionate, the Gurus loved everyone. Why are we discriminating against people? Why not just let them have a vote in our matters? <laughs> I think uh, New York State did it. Now even non-citizens can vote. Was it not New York City or New York State? Uh, not really sure, but what was the result? Tell me. Oh, well, they just uh, passed it. So the result is still to arrive. But I think it's obvious what's going to happen. Yep. And when you have this system, now, you know, the gurus, when they made a decision, they made an exclusive decision. If they had to make a decision, they passed it through the seats, right? They never invited anyone else, any you know, Christian, Hindu, or Muslim to come along and help them in the decision. I mean, we're stupidly being, you know, too liberal, almost to the point of the dissolution of our identity and philosophy at the end of the day. That's the way we're going. But if you look at history, Baba Bandha Singh Badr had five Sikhs advising him, you know, Banjas Singh. And those five operated in a system where there was a nexus of Sikh governors. Sikh warriors, Sikh commanders, Sikh missionaries, informing them about which decisions had to be made. So they had a pulse on the crowd. Like, you know, they had a hand on the crowd's pulse. They recognized the crowd had a pulse and what that pulse was, and they made their decisions accordingly. But, you know, the thing with that system of democracy is it also disallows leadership from becoming a populist contest. You know, like, a, well, we saw what happened with Trump and Hillary Clinton, didn't we? Well, a voting system is, is essentially a popularity contest. Yeah, a popularity contest. And down here, what happens is that when democracy is limited, I mean, democracy, it's not like, okay, fine then. If I say to red democracy is limited, Sikh democracy is limited, obviously many people are going to, you know, argue that that is not democracy in the essential sense we have today. And that's good. That's really good if they argue that because then it makes our life easy to draw a distinction. But the thing is, if you look at it, five Sikhs go to Baba Bandha Singh Badr and tell him that these are the most pressing issues we have to deal with. And Baba Bandha Singh's like, okay, so which ones? Here are the ones I choose. These are the ones we should do. And they will be like, okay, then yep, we agree to that. 
end of the day, the decision-making process is swift. The results are swift. The faster you make a decision, the faster you get the consequences, the faster you know you realize what the fruits of your decision are. And above all, it just cuts out the crap and allows government to do what it needs to without inflating the bureaucracy, without inflating the controls on people's lives. Control on people's lives, especially in the time of COVID. Mm, nice point. <laughs> I mean, people essentially vote for what they want and not for what they need. I think we, we discussed it earlier that a leader has to think maybe 50, 100 years into the, into the future. A common man, just about his or necessities, which party or which politician will give you more free stuff? There you are. I mean, since the... You and I have both seen that. Yep. Oh, yeah, we've both been there. I mean, when the welfare system came along, then it suddenly became who's going to give us more, you know, entitlements, who's going to give us more of a handout. And this is essentially something which the gurus want you to avoid. They didn't want their Sikhs going down that way. Now, the second radical shift which actually happens in the Sikh politics, now, this is all about election versus election. Here's the thing. When Nwab Kapoor Singh was made Nwab, the Khalsa had a political system going. Right? They made a decision. Yeah. Who made the decision? We see that the Sangats at the time selected the foremost Sikhs among them. So, you know, Baba Darbara Singh, who was obviously a military commander, by Mani Singh, Baba Deep Singh, and, you know, several others. Everyone sat down in a council, looked around, and they said, okay, look, we are invested with the Pants power. Why? Because we have some merit. So this wasn't an election like, you know, you guys go and contest out there and we will vote for you or we will vote for the one who we think is much better. It was all based on merit that, you know, fine, Mani Singh is a scholar. He's converted thousands of lower castes to Sikhi. Yep, let's choose him. He's got a sagacious, uh, you know, he's wise. He's got his hand on the pulse of the crowds. He knows many people are becoming Sikhs. He knows why they're becoming Sikhs, what they envision. Okay, look, let's choose him. Baba Darbara Singh, his family were military commanders under Guru Arjan, Guru Hargobind, Guru Harai, Guru Harkrishan, Guru Tegbadar, Guru Gobind Singh Ji. He himself is leading the Pant at the moment. He's in charge of military security. Let's choose him. And, you know, so forth. They chose the people who essentially have a stake in making the policies which affect the Pant in the future, right? Mm hmm. And those individuals get together and they say, okay, look, we're going to make a final decision. Who do we choose to lead the fund? And they look around now. If it was today, they would look around at who's probably got the most money, who's probably got the most, you know, presence in the polls, whose polls are higher. They look around and there are many, you know, candidates they can select from, but they decide, okay, we're going to choose Kapoor Singh because he does seva in the langar. He, you know, picks up the horses uh, manure. He leads our fighters at the front in battle. Yeah, we're going to choose this guy. He's got humility. At the same time, he's a warrior. And third thing, he's going to take decisions, which even though they might not be popular, at least these decisions will bring advantages to the Pant in the future. Mm. And it bore fruit. We had the missile system come from Kapoor Singh, and there was a period when uh, the Khalsa wanted to attack Lahore after Mir Manu's death. Uh, no, actually, after uh, after the Chota Kalukara, when they actually grew back into power, they wanted to attack Lahore. And, you know, what Kapoor Singh did was Kapoor Singh got up and he addressed them and he said, well, look, if we attack Lahore, we will conquer Lahore, right? And then we will have to fight Ahmad Shah Abdali, who's going to come from Afghanistan. 
We will be in a static position. We won't be able to use our guerrilla tactics. We will sacrifice a lot of lives unnecessarily. It's better just to sit back and let the enemy weaken itself and then keep on doing what we do, which is guerrilla attacks. Uh, yep, uh, very clear military tactics there. Very clear. And if you look at it today, you won't get that sort of advice today from anyone, even that leadership decision. What you will rather have is people explaining their position rather than the leader explaining his or her position and the leader submitting to the people's will. Are you making a case that only people who are qualified to vote should vote, not everybody who's just born into a country? Yep, that's what I'm making the case for. The auditor, only the landowners and the taxpayers should vote. People who have an immediate stake in the running of society should have a vote. Hmm. See, Colonel Polier, you know, Colonel Polier, he makes an interesting observation, and this is in the 18th century. He's a Swiss traveler, and he makes an interesting note that Sikh, the Sikhs are like almost like a Republican aristocracy where only Sikhs with an immediate stake in the future of the Pant and its conquests, void at Sarbat says. There are no distinctions are entertained between high and low, but that is only among Sikhs and no one else. Right. So it does make sense yep. when, when you think from a different perspective. At the time of Ranjit Singh, Sikhs barely made like maybe five percent of Punjab population, maybe even less. Yep. yep. So if they had instituted a, dem a democratic system at that time, what could have been the result? They would have been outvoted. They would have been crushed. Not outvoted. <laughs> straight, straight up usurped. And I mean, that's the, see, in the name of compassion, people are entering into self-victimization, especially Sikhs today. They're entering into self-victimization in the name of compassion. You have to draw a line somewhere, but these morons who we have today, if we have a Sikh country, they would rather that the Sikhs be outnumbered and only be reduced to mere figureheads in history of that state and in the history of the world, rather than do something for themselves. Okay, hypothetically, there's a planet X and all the inhabitants are Sikhs. Yeah. Yep. yep. So maybe people are, well, every person is different. Every individual's got a different brain, wired differently. Yep. Hypothetically, you are living there as a civilian and so am I. Yep. So since you are a builder, you become a successful builder have a construction company, maybe other winches as well. You're rich now. Yeah. What's stopping other people from legally robbing you? The law. No, they, they would just vote. They say you, you, you must pay your quote-unquote fair share of taxes. Should be 90%. Because I'm rich. Yeah. You are rich. You are rich, so you can survive on five percent of your income. So give give us the ninety five percent. What's stopping them? It's the will of the people. Well, if there is a just reason for that, if I've actually risen to the top through you know, egregious means, egregious means, you know, if I've risen to the top through 
let's say, quite nefarious means, insidious means, all good, I deserve that. You know, I deserve to have everything I've built taken away. But if it's all honest, hard, hard work, why should I be taxed excessively in the first place for people who can't be bothered moving their butts to get a good life? Uh, I was actually uh, watching some videos about uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq, yeah? Yep. So he made some really good investments, yeah? Uh, in Google, he also has his own brand of shoes and whatever. They're like cheap shoes, comparatively cheap shoes, yeah? Yep. I don't think he robbed everybody or anybody, sorry. He made good investments. As a result of them, he's rich. I think it's worth about $400 million, maybe even more. So if somebody decides, oh, he's got too much money, or he, he owns 10 houses, he lives in only one. Let's, let's take the rest of them as a way of the people. See, if you look at it from one end, modern democracy is arguing for total equality of outcome. Oh, yep. Yeah. That, that's currently the hot topic. Equity. Now, Equality of outcome. Yep. Now, Islamic and Hindu and even Christian theocracy, they prevent, they basically make it that non confirmation is treason to the state. So if you don't believe in their faith, it's treasonous to the state. And Sikhi, we don't have that concept. Now, of course, many people quote, but if you read that Shabbat ahead, you see Pak Kabir arguing that, you know, do not discriminate against people on the basis of their birth because no one is born innately good or bad. If you want to discriminate, discriminate on the basis of their beliefs, which inform direction. Makes sense. Makes very logical sense. The Sikh system of the Khalsa Sangat getting together and selecting leaders rather than electing leaders, selection provides total equality of opportunity but the outcome is left to the individual uh, would you agree that even in a family people who are all related by blood yeah yep. I will hopefully expect uh, extract your parents <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay even a family can't decide what to eat. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we have two dishes or maybe three, maybe even four dishes to eat. Mm. Yeah? Yep. So how do you expect people to agree on larger things in unanimity? Here's the thing. You can only get total agreement in the grave. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> so... Your starting, yours and mine starting point could be, let's say, the same. It's not the same, but yeah, let's say it's the same. Yeah. Yep. I might might not be good at something. Hey, you might be the best at it. So naturally, you will progress further. If you are better at management, you're probably going to use people like me in your own business and become much richer than me. I could be the best worker you ever got, but I haven't got the management skills. There you go. Total equality of opportunity versus total equality of outcome. We provide that, like in a Sikh state, from a Sikh perspective, Baba Nanak has actually laid down that all individuals, all humans, at least are entitled to three fundamental rights in their life. 
Kirtkarni, Nam Japna, Vandikeshakna, you know, Kirtkarni involving themselves wholeheartedly in something which lends their life a purpose and also benefits society at large. Nam Japna, you know, gathering wisdom and also living that wisdom. And at the other end, you have, you know, Vandikeshakna, that you're giving people a hand up as well. You're helping those who do not, who cannot grasp that total equality of opportunity. You're actually helping them grasp that opportunity. But how you develop and grow as a human, that's really in your own hands, not in anyone else's hands. You know, Waiguru has given you the opportunity. What are you going to do with it? It depends on your belief, your direction. Well, I, you can build a road for me, but I have to drive on it. Yeah, because obviously that's true. I'm not going to see if I build a road from your house to my house, it's not up to me. It's not imperative on me to bring you over to my house. You have to come over to my house. Well, it depends on how much you're pressing me. <laughs> well, let's say in a normal context down here, you know, someone gives you a pen and a paper. You can write the greatest poetry ever and become rich. Strike at people's hearts. Or maybe you can do nothing with it and just keep on looking at it. The decision is yours. I can probably make a paper, paper airplane and just fly it off my window. <laughs> yep. Uh, but see, the thing down here essentially is that, you know, those people who are saying that Sikhs do not know how to live in a democracy, they're ignoring democracy's failures. Was it Churchill that the best argument against democracy is, uh, is an average conversation with the water or water? Oh, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I'm forgetting the exact phrase. I believe so. It was him. See, because the Sikhs in America, some of those who listen to us, I mean, they sent us, they, well, they sent me this little uh, complaint about, you know, the Panch Parvan issue that, you know, you're saying that democracy is not fit for purpose. And I told them, well, you know, what is democracy? And they said, this is a democracy. Democracy is where everyone gets to select their leader. There's freedom of speech, etc., etc. And I was like, yeah, that's all good. Do you guys know that people who study democracy are always looking at ways to improve it because it's inherently flawed? Can you name of speech? I beg your pardon? Can you name a single democracy where there is freedom of speech? No, none. The U.S. is a constitutional republic. It's not a democracy. The word democracy doesn't exist in the Constitution. That's right. That's right. See, so the point of being freedom of speech or, let's say, quote-unquote, freedom of action is absent in a democracy. See, what these people are doing today is, you know, in their arguments among themselves, see, creatures having arguments among themselves, they're bringing in these concepts which, you know, need further evaluation, but the way they're treating it is like, you know, this is what the gurus wanted. Well, man, maybe they have a direct hotline with them. I don't know. This, this is what they're arguing. And, you know, this is where you have to consider all the pros and cons. The Sangat system of selection, can we resurrect that system today if we have, you know, 100% disciplined, confirming Khalsa, yes, we can, but it will always be a selection. In a Sikh state, should non-Sikhs be allowed to vote if they're not allowed to vote in Gurdwaras? 
Well, if it's a theocracy, then it could be that way, but I wouldn't support a theocracy. Even on that end, what Paul you notes is that the Khalsa Republic is feudal with elements of theocracy so far in that, that it proclaims that, you know, the Khalsa is the Galpurk Pipoj. Other than that, there is not much of a theocratic sentiment there, besides the fact that the Sikhs believe that only they have the right to rule. But then, you know, if the Sikhs are not making non-Sikhs, you know, prisoners to the state, because obviously, like I said, Islam and Hinduism and Christianity by their very nature make, you know, non-confirmation, uh, non-confirmism, you know, treason to the state. Sikhs don't have that system among them. But what they do have is that they, only the Khalsa is fit to rule. Hmm. That, that's what Sardar Kapoor Singh pointed out. Back then, if you wanted to become part of the ruling class, if you wanted to rule, you had to become a Khalsa, you had to show merit. That was the system under Nwab Kapoor Singh, Baba Banda Singh. Ultimately, the system was destroyed by Maharaja Ranjit Singh. But the essential fact was that what we have today is that, you know, the first thing is that Amrit is being given out freely today. Yep, that is, that's true. Why was it that back in those days, it was so hard, even for Sikhs, even for bona fide people born in Sikh houses, why was it so hard for them to become a Mirtari, to enter the Khalsa? Well, they don't give you a degree the moment you enter a college. That's right. And Guru Gobind Singh made it clear that the Khalsa, the ideological foundations of the Khalsa have been established by Guru Nanak, so he's only doing what Guru Nanak actually says needs to be done in Gurbani. So essentially what Guru Nanak is saying in Gurbani through the Panch Pravan Shabad is that not everyone is fit to rule. If not everyone is fit to rule, are they fit to select the ruler? No, 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 no. And that's that's where you have to look at it. This is very that's quite a significant question you have asked. Panch Parvan, Panch Parvan. If you go further, Panch Parvan, Nadri Karam what all these Shabbats point towards is the fact that only individuals fit to rule should be selecting rulers because they know what a society really needs rather than what society really wants. I think his name is uh, Gurdeep Singh of Manukta Di Seva Trust. Have you heard about him? Uh, heard about the trust, not the person. Yep, and I recently watched a video, and what's happened is that uh, there's a couple in Punjab whose baby has some sort of uh, oxygen problem. The child cannot breathe permanently without an incubator, and they're fighting to keep the child alive. It's, exa- it's actually an adopted child, and the amount of money they need is atrocious, even if you convert it into dollars. And he pointed out that, you know, why is it that in Punjab, when the elections come around, people are saying that, you know, the leaders are making big promises about getting roads from one village to another, bridges, etc., etc. Why is no one saying that, you know, I will build more hospitals? I will build more schools. My kids will go to those hospitals and schools and not any other. Well, that's a very simple trick. If you keep, If you keep people stagnated in the development roads haven't been built water sewage and stuff the very basics they will never graduate on to let's say more hard-hitting issues see but there's another element here as well now this is something i gleaned from fiction 
have you heard about Terry Pratchett? Um, can't say. Yeah, he can't wrote say the so. Discworld novels. He wrote the Discworld novels. Quite a interesting chap. Died a few years ago, and he wrote this uh, Discworld novel called uh, The Night Watch. And this uh, story of the Night Watch is set in a city called Ankhmore Park. It's just bear with me. I know the name sounds pretty ludicrous, but it's based in Discworld, and that's a fantasy land, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so don't attack me. Anyway, what happens is that the protagonist, Captain Samuel Wimes of the city police, is hunting down a serial killer who specializes in killing cops, and he goes back in time. And as he goes back in time, he goes to a stage where it's before a pre-revolution. And he was a young cop when the revolution happened in his own time zone, so he survived it, but his senior didn't. So now he has to act the part of that senior to be able to go back in his own time and catch the killer. Anyhow, besides that, there are some, you know, quintessential reflections on the human condition in that book, and they're pretty funny. The first one they say is that people in Ankh-Morpork realized they were not fit to vote. So they got together and voted for a new system where it became one man, one vote, and the vote belongs to the leader of the city, the patrician. Right? So they cut off their mm -hmm. own feet. The second is, and this is the most funny one, the people realized that there must be something not that fundamentally wrong with the government, but with the people who choose that government. Hmm. And this realization led to a revolution. Revolution one, after that, they realize it again. Revolution two, revolution three, revolution four, until ultimately you get South America happening in Discworld. <laughs> and look at these two fundamental things. People decide that, you know, they're not happy with the system of government. They decide to make a new system of government. The same people who cannot choose the present government and make it work, choose a new system, one man, one vote, which is essentially the leader of the city who gets to vote for himself. Hmm. Quite a common now, system. It? Yeah, now come to think about it, before the Khalsa system of politics was, you know, in, implemented by Guru Gobind Singh Ji, why did the gurus not journey around the Punjab or the whole of India asking for people's opinions? <laughs> Now, why was it, why was it that Guru Nanak turned around and said, Pai, Lena is Angad, but he never held a vote for it. Shri Chand or Lena? Well, it's up to the people to answer who disagree with this point. See, even when you have the missiles, even when you have the Khalsa missiles, if a Sardar died fighting or was found not fit for purpose, the ranking, the way that ranking system worked was that first you had, you know, the common Sikhs who changed missiles rapidly and, you know, served under them. Then you had the Missildars. Now, the Missildars were pretty much the assistant to the Sardar, but what they were, were that they were a ruling class. They were often selected after proving their mettle in the field of battle. So these were the people, essentially, these were the Sikhs, the Khalsa, who had a immediate stake in the future of the missiles territories. And they selected a Sardar from among themselves. Now, amazingly enough, the Missildars never went out and asked in the territories, let's have a vote. Uh, yeah. I have a... Yep. Okay. Answer me this. Yep. 
So recently we had, we had the Olympics. Yes. Could that be put to a vote that it's up to the people to decide that who is going to represent the country in various disciplines of sports? No, no. Why? It's too specialized. Okay. They could select like five people in a swimming team or four runners in a relay team. Maybe they can decide, okay, this we are going to send five people for a boxing discipline as bantamweight, lightweight, heavyweight. I don't know the categories of it. Yep. Why not? Are you really going to risk your chances of a gold or a silver or even a bronze? Trusting people to choose someone proficient who might not really be proficient but gives off the ears they're proficient? Ah, so why is it that <clears throat> people have the vote to do... To, to decide on financial issues, political issues, social issues, military issues, when they haven't got expertise in any of them. You would think that politicians would choose politicians, and this is going to sound very controversial, but we are controversial at the end of the day. So you know the system in Israel, they call their parliament the Neset, am I right? Yeah, with a K. Yeah, okay, so with a capital K. Anyway, the Neset with a K, is the sort of system where people select their MPs, their members of parliament. These members of parliament enter parliament. There are no backbenchers. And essentially, they choose a prime minister from among themselves or two prime ministers who can, you know, sort of the first one rules for a certain set period and the second one for a certain set period. And so far, if you look at it, Israelis have the lowest rates of political dissatisfaction with their prime ministers when compared to Western society. Hmm. Interesting. So people are essentially choosing, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, MPs down there. They sit there and those MPs finally filter it among themselves to choose performers. So you have this filtration going on where only the most uh, efficient, the most proficient, the most professional with a proven track record of accomplishing what they say they will, who have this consistency, are selected for the highest office in the land. You know, a, lo a very long time ago, uh, I asked you a question that who can actually recognize a Brahmagani? No one. So how can, a, okay, how does a Brahmagani become a Brahmagani? <laughs> Somebody else has to call him a Brahmagani. It's always him, not a her, but anyhow. Yeah, because usually what they're doing is they're just, you know, referencing and cherry picking and misquoting Shabbats and then you get another guy saying I'm a Brahmgani and you know how they say Brahmgani Brahmgani Kojani and that's yep, how it happens like you know you can say I'm Baba Navjit Singh Brahmgani and this is Baba Amarjit Singh Brahmgani <laughs> you're trying to get a shot bro <laughs> and, and, so the, and, and then we can go somewhere else and certify them as a Brahmgani uh, okay so how do I measure a man's ability to run my country. Well, I mean, for the common man, that's impossible. Is it just based on hope that I hope he or she delivers? You know, 
when you come to think about it, hope shouldn't even be part of politics. Hope is never a good strategic or tactical strategy. Mm. Right, and and let's let's just talk about it about from a Sikh perspective. You know, you have the common people only Sikhs with immediate stake in the future of the punt should be allowed to select the punt's leaders. The way the SGPC did it, you know, Manji Sahib Ho, uh, Manji Sahib Gurdwara, where the Katha is done every morning? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that was made that the common Sikh could come and present their, uh, you know, disputes, their religious disputes and issues to a legislative body of the SGPC who would be based at Manji Sahib Hall. They would convey this straight to the SGPC office and the Kal Takht. So the Kal Takht would provide religious guidance on the issue. Finally, hearings would be held in the Teja Singh Samundri Hall where people were allowed to come in and attend but they needed, you know, official office bearers to bring up any disputes which they had against the, against the decision. And after a decision was reached in Manji Sahib Hall, what the people wanted, and that was compared to what the SGPC was doing, finally, the final decision would be read out at the Kaltak side. Hmm. So there would be interaction with the people and there would be a this cross-referencing to see what people essentially considered as being the most pressing of issues, but it was not necessary that the issue a majority of people saw as being pressing would be taken up and then, you know, a decision made or commented upon. Well, we have, well, no, too many un unanswered questions. You need to prioritize issues. And at the end of the day, this is something we're not seeing with the current you know, leadership. So when people tell us democracy seeks need to learn it to live in a democracy, well, democracy has its own inherent failures. What's going to happen 20, 50 years down the track when democracy start failing? What are you going to say then? Seeks don't know how to live in a dictatorship? It's actually uh, quite telling that, uh, okay, Sikhs are a minority in Punjab today, yeah? At the rate of, okay, our, our birth rate is too low. People are migrating out of the state, out of the country. Yep. Is there a guarantee in the, in, the, in the next 30, 40 years, even our, our most sacred places are going to be secure? No, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee at all. Okay, in that case, when the so society degrades, Punjab has been number one for a reason that we are not like the other states. We have our own distinct culture, which was, well, which was very productive. Yeah. Yep. When those people who who own that culture, the founding stock, when that has been depleted, what happens? Total atrophy. So, do you think in, in that case I will have to? let's say, relearn how to live with people who don't really like me? Well, if you were to believe some of this uh, woke preaching going on, democracy is the utopia we all need. Then perhaps I will need to be, you know, 
learn to be okay with my house getting robbed or me getting kicked in the face because I don't believe the gods. Well, that's right. That's right. And I think that's what's going to happen. And then these preachers who keep on crying about democracy, we should actually be standing up on standing them up on stages then and asking, well, you know, this was your solution. What happened to it? You know, what happened to that great vision, that paradise you were giving us of democracy? Democracy could could be a system, well, it could work very well if the people all put, let's say, the interests of society before their own personal interests. And that's never going to happen in any system. Well, that's never going to happen in any system. And Guru Maharaj knew this. That's why Amrit was made so strict. And Khalsa was always, you know, envisioned to be a powerful minority of sorts. Uh, mm, really? Well, that's my personal belief. In a minority, in a dedicated minority, you can catch out, you know, systems of failure soon enough. But, you know, in a large coalition or in a, you know, what the current democracy is, failure is accepted as being a byword for success as long as your popularity is riding high. So I could be a failure for the four, four and a half years, but in the last six months of my administration, I could just deliver some false promises that I'll still win. Look, we don't need to target Jacinda that badly yet. Come on, she's had a hard year. <laughs> uh, no. In New Zealand, it's not five-year terms, mate. You know that. I'm not targeting her. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she, she's going to get heartbroken if she listens to this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And the ultimate point I would like to make down here is that, you know, fine then, we have democracy, we live in democracies, the systems need to be replenished and renewed all the time. If you look at the ancient Athenians where we claim democracy started, only a select few had the right to vote at the time. And if you're saying that today democracy guarantees everyone the right to vote, then what about non-citizens? And this well, is what I asked that what this is what I asked that upgrade uncle. I was like, what about non-citizens? And he's like, Yeah, well, they're not citizens. But I told him, You're a Sikh. There's what you guys tell me. So why don't you follow that and fight for their right to vote? Well, the there is a uh man, okay. Uh, I will have to use some colorful language here. There is a very famous group in America who and they're LARPing as Sikhs and they adv advocate that. <laughs> Yeah, sure that you can't. According to them, it's a sin to say that I am a Sikh and not a Muslim. Not, not just a sin. It's much worse than that. You can actually wash off your sins. You can't wash off this one. <laughs> you, you need to be expelled from the Kaal Takht. If they had their way, they would be going to the Kaal Takht. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And of course, I believe they are, they are democratic to the core, yeah? Yep. I want to destroy you, but legally. But legally. And you need to ask yourself, in the past 40, 50 years, all these preachers fighting among themselves, Babas becoming Pais, Pais becoming Babas, what have they given to the Pant? Huge Gurdwaras, mate. 
huge gurdwaras huge gurdwaras security forces huge disputes and fights overseas none of them is educated enough to sit down and tackle the problems we have today uh yeah uh, uh i think i said it earlier in some some podcast maybe even to talk with you that there isn't a single sikh preacher who who would actually actually have a debate with any of the so called atheists in the west none not even a single one none of them can none of them can and i'm talking about everyone even the people who i was affiliated with and them affiliated with none of them can do that i'm not talking about a 3 hour debate even a 10 minute talk can't do it can't do it none of them have any grasp on nuance of history there was one who came to new zealand and he was you know saying the same thing democracy democracy and i pointed out to him well you know the nazis came to power in a democracy will you have any comments on that in which country there was a massive genocide committed over 5 days and the population gave a 97% victory to the instigators of the genocide will you comment on that which democracy had you know riots in downtown los angeles and those two you know race riots Which no. democracy can truly say that it's the paragon of perfectness of you know unity without having a military at its beck and call the very definition of state is the monopoly or the legitimate use of violence so there you go there you go see this is what i'm going to say the pujari were the cliques those clans or mobs or whatever you want to call them they never understood what they were walking into but what we have today the movement arising against them even that movement can't claim to be a successor to the lahore singh sabha because that intellectual bite that foresight is lacking straight away even for people let, let's say an individual not a seek not religious just an individual who want to live a life yeah his or her whatever yep they will have to ask this question to themselves they do and you know navin pant prakash says that the people of punjab came to the misaldars the sardars nawab kapoor singh and said well we want you to become our rulers and nawab kapoor singh said okay we will do it because really that's what he was angling for to make the pant politically prominent again what's amazing though if you look at it even among the sikhs and the amritdaris were allowed to vote in the matters of the government at the sarbat councils the people who came to him said that they were you know they who wanted the council to rule over them they were non sikhs essentially you never hear about them voting in sikh affairs or running the sikh government at all and that goes to show you that as long as people are guaranteed fundamental rights in life their ability to pursue whatever it is they want as long as it's not you know at the expense of social security or anything like that the people really don't care if they have to choose a leader or not hmm find then you have terms in place to prevent you know totalitarianism and autocracy from taking over you have a set term you know for example 
if the Khalsa gets together, if the political Khalsa gets together, let's say there are maybe uh, 200 of them in a nation full of 8 million and they decide, okay, we're going to select um, you know, president and they select you. Now you're in for five years. You can only do two terms for five years, right? 10 years in total. The second term is not guaranteed. Anyhow, what happens is that, you know, you stand up, you're running the system. And if people are getting jobs, if there is, you know, no economic crisis, everything is going fine. Yeah, sure. People are happy with you. It doesn't matter whether, you know, you come along and say that my opponent is a piece of shit. We are not going to vote for him. Don't vote for him because he's evil. No one cares. Do you know the, the famous Ronald Reagan uh, debate? Uh, with who? I forgot his name, but Reagan said that I'm not good. I'm not going to make fun of his youth and inexperience. So do you think at that exact moment people voted based on the policies and the views of these two people or just a simple dialogue? And he was an actor. He knew how to, to deliver a dialogue. Just a simple dialogue. Now, seeing that you've brought up Reagan, my favorite moment from Reagan is when he had the New Hampshire primary primaries in the 80s, in the late 80s. And what happened was that before Bush came into power, what they did was they actually cut the mic for the opposition because, you know, Reagan was the president incumbent and they wanted to get favor from him. Reagan actually got angry, stood up and said, well, wait a second, if I was given 12 minutes, they should be given 12 minutes. And they said, oh, well, Mr. President, the issue is that, you know, they're the opposition. And he said, well, wait a second, I'm actually paying for this mic. Give them 12 minutes or I'm off the stage. And that clinched him a second term. Yeah. Right. And what you have today with these popularity contests and First of all, you know, this is what Pervez Musharraf said in his uh, autobiography in The Line of Fire, that, you know, democracy has to be tailor-made to relevant circumstances. What our people are doing is they want a westernized democracy, but, you know, the challenges are different in the West. The culture, the attitude, the ethics are different in the West, and they're different back home. No one is going to loiter <clears throat> around the streets after midnight and, you know, try raping a nude lady in the West. Only a few will, maybe in the UK, because of their, you know, racism of low expectations, but no one in any of the other Western countries. Try that back home in India. <laughs> Man, you, you talk about nighttime. It's not even safe in the daytime. In the daytime. So, here in the West, the call is for more liberal laws. Maybe people need to be taught what the consequences of their actions net. In India, the debate usually in the Punjab is over that, you know, the debate should be over that, you know, if people don't realize the consequences of their actions, we're going to come down really hard on them. See, two different voting predigams right there, two different dynamics. The I think, core uh... of democracy, which the Athenians made, what the core of democracy, which the Athenians envisioned, was always about selection and not election. And that same system was envisioned by the gurus, but we have corrupted it and are better to appease the liberal left.
I'm trying to think about examples of successful states who have implemented this policy, implemented this policy. Oh, well, I mean, there's a first term for everything. No, uh, I mean, uh, democracies that have succeeded in long term. None. None? Hmm. So, can we list, let's say, some famous democracies that have failed? Well, I mean, there are numerous which have failed. Well, far too many of them. Far too many of them. We could say Weimar Republic, Germany. I mean, if you make a list, we can keep on going on and on, but this would make the episode pretty long. But, I mean, end of the day, my conclusion is that, you know, we need to be very careful of people who say seeks to understand democracy because really they haven't weighed up the pros and cons proficiently and fully. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Switzerland only introduced universal suffrage in 1976 or something. You're right. You're right. Because you, you gave the example of a person who was Swiss, yeah? Yep. So why is it it's one, one of the most successful countries? And it's not a microstate. And it's only the direct democracy, a president or uh, I think prime minister for a year or something. It's a, a rotating that's system. A, that's exactly what Polyer saw. He realized that the Sikhs could become another Switzerland, so they had to be prevented. They had to be attacked in their own domains. He even emphasized that the Sikhs be attacked in their own domains and crushed. Otherwise, if their system of government, if their mode of thinking spread outside the Punjab, then the whole country would be up in flames against the Europeans. Hmm. This is a really critical dialogue we are having, and unfortunately, though, this is only what we can do, create a dialogue. However, on another aspect, if people want to start researching further and thinking about how to make the Sikh system more proficient, much better, much expensive, go for it. We're encouraging you. What's actually quite funny is like uh, the word balkanization, yeah? Balkanization. Sorry if I'm speaking too fast. People are going to to vote based on their community, hmm. their religious affiliation, their regional affiliations, and what that person can promise them. Yeah? Yep. So in America, let's say, there's a black caucus. Yep. Is there a white caucus? I don't believe so. What's the... Uh, the group, La Raza, what is it? I have no idea. I think it's Latino, is it? Yeah. It literally means the race. Hmm. So people are always going to vote as a tribe. Yep. So why can't we adopt the same? 
Well, we got the bleeding heart liberals who actually claim that we were only made for the lunger bucket. <laughs> I mean, if half this lot had their way, if half, if half this lot had their way, I'm just about to conclude down here, if half this lot had their way, they would replace the Kirpan as a Kakar with the Karcha. <laughs> uh, I want to say more things, but I don't want to get shot. So I got I got a list of things to do before I die. So no, I'm not going to say it soon. Yep. Okay. The reason why I give you that, that example is because it's the same in India. Yep. So currently there, there's, okay, uh, the state of Uttar Pradesh that I gave the example, there are going to be election there. Yep. You have the Yadav vote bank. You have the Dalit vote bank. Yep. You have the Jat or Jat, Jat vote bank. Yep. It's all tribal politics. What they talk about, nobody's talking about policies, development, infrastructure, vision, track record. No. Well, I mean, as Pratt should actually, you know, says in Nightwatch, Essentially, if the leaders are like that, then there is something fundamentally wrong with the people. You can't really escape that conclusion because if there was nothing wrong with the people, they would be demanding much better. And I guess when they brought this, you know, westernized style of democracy among the Sikhs, that's when we started having problems, really. I mean, in passing though, as a conclusion, there is now a group on Twitter and uh, Telegram, Seek Phobia. Please join that group and start battling Seek Phobia. Hmm, okay. They're trying to use the tactics of the adversaries against them. Well, monkey see, monkey do. It usually works. Phobia is an irrational fear. And there you go. There's a rational fear of Sikhs, and that's why people are doing this. Anyhow, join the group and start reporting anti-Sikh co content online and on social media. <laughs> Man, okay, I can only observe. Because oh, the parallels I can draw, the parallels I can draw, it will only attract uh, high-speed metal towards my general direction. Well, these are early days, so we will see how the system goes, but I do believe that the way the system goes will be very proficient. And uh, last week, someone actually made a parody account about us, the Sikh retardation. And it seems that satire, because uh, they actually share the same values as us, but I uh, keep going. I mean, I can't see them on Twitter anymore, but uh, yeah, if you are the guys who made Sikh retardation, guys, please keep going. It was worth it in the long run. <laughs> So essentially, you, you're telling me we have got at least at least one dedicated follower who listens to every single word we say and then nitpicks out of it. Yep. That's all for today. Wahiguruji ka khalsa. Wahiguruji ka khalsa.